Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Vet Candy's podcast and other news, a podcast to expand your idea of what is impacting the veterinary world, veterinarians, and all animal care professionals as humans. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Jen. And Dr. Jason Chatfield. If you are not yet a Vet Candy subscriber, why not? Please subscribe for free today at myvetcandy.com. You can also reach us at Jen at myvetcandy.com or Jason at myvetcandy.com. And our topic today is 2019 novel coronavirus. In other news, there's a new coronavirus. Yes, this is crazy. There's a new coronavirus. You can't turn on the TV without hearing about coronavirus. I mean, Jason, are you hearing about it in the basement? We are hearing about it even down here in the basement. It's on everyone's news channel, radio channel, everything. We got to learn about it. We have to know what's going on. How can we know about what's going on? I mean, it's an incredible disease. And so luckily, we have a guest here today who's an expert. Dr. Gary Whitaker from Cornell is joining us. Welcome, Dr. Whitaker. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. So first of all, we got to get right to the heart of it because this stuff is all on TV. They're freaking everybody out. Do I need to panic? Well, I don't think I, I'm not panicking right now. Um, okay. It's not about my own situation here in the United States. If I was in central China, I, it might be a whole different story, but sitting okay. here in Ithaca, New York, I'm not panicking. I'm you're not panicking. But I'm not okay. panicking. <laughs> okay. But you're also not about to go visit China anytime soon. Right. No. Right. Correct. Yes. And so the next question always with these new coronaviruses, well, I guess let's, let's kind of start at the basics. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, every talking head on the television is an expert at saying coronavirus. Have we had a novel coronavirus emerge before? Or is this the first time? Well, in, in the past three decades, there's been three novel coronaviruses in humans. It all started in 2003 with SARS and then in 2012 with MERS and now we're at 2020 and we've got a novel coronavirus. So it's not unexpected. I, I've, been wait, I've been expecting this for a while. It's a case of when will it happen and, and what kind of virus will it be and how bad will it be? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's every 10 years, it's basically past record is a new, a new coronavirus appears from animals ultimately okay. from cats, but usually through animal species into humans. That's kind of the pattern, yeah. You do yes. sound calm, Dr. Whitaker. Like you were kind of expecting this, Jason. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds very calm, which, which, makes me, which makes me very good and very calm. Uh, Not that yeah. I could do well, fix it, but I, uh, yeah, I was expecting it. <laughs> But you can help educate us, which is what it's about. We don't expect you to solve. I mean, not today, maybe tomorrow. But today, just educate us, let us know. Let the universe know what, what's happening with coronavirus. What, what can we do about it? What does it mean? What are right. the signs? All that. Information is the antidote to fear, right? Especially when we talk about infectious diseases. Right. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, good information and really ability to judge risk, relative risk is, is a, you know, I, I teach the vet students, but I also teach public health students here at Cornell. And but Dr. Whitaker, risk is, is a big thing. But Dr. Whitaker, mm -hmm. don't all veterinarians work in public health? All veterinarians do work in public health. I, 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 I shouldn't, shouldn't be segregating students like that, but yes, yes. You know, there's a you know, there's a reason why you know, the, you know, Cornell put up a new public health program, and there's actually a very good reason why it's based in the vet school because you know, as as my director says, veterinarians have been doing public health forever, and this is a That's right. natural home. That's right. 
It is our home. So my next question is, because actually people have already started asking me, sometimes they mistake me for someone who knows, um, especially about new diseases. Is this different from the coronavirus that we currently know of that dogs can get? The dog, yeah. So, well, I mean, a lot of animals, basically all animals have coronaviruses. Many animals have multiple coronaviruses. So in, in humans right now, this is really number... I think number seven. So this is the seventh known human coronavirus. And oh, pigs, wow. for instance, have four and four or five known coronaviruses. And so it's not it's not they're not uncommon. They're very as viruses. They're very successful. They're very um, I see them as very adaptable viruses, and that's why they're very successful. They they, they can they can what makes them potentially problematic. They could be very benign, or they can be very dangerous. You know, within one virus. So and they're very. Uh, flexible, very adaptable, and this is why we have to be concerned about. They can change pretty readily between the two. So what we do, you know, for this audience, what we do a lot of here at Cornell is is studying FIP, which is mm-hmm. feline coronavirus, and that's right. I've become very interested in that. Yep, it's a very important veterinary problem, but it's also a very good model for just understanding coronaviruses in general. And I think that that an example where the virus just turns on a dime almost and can convert from being very benign too deadly in, in a very short space of time. And the, the impact there is, is obviously huge. The cats and the owners and the veterinarians, but it's, there's something about the cat's immune system, which sort of allows this to happen that doesn't really happen in other species. So it's a, that in itself is a fascinating you know, subject to, to study for, for somebody like me who's, who loves viruses. Yeah. So here's what's interesting, too, to me, is that the race seems to be on with the epidemiologists who are trying mm-hmm. to find out, you know, what is the reservoir? Where did this virus originate? And so I'm seeing all kinds of stuff and I'm not sure what's true in the press. Mm-hmm. Right. I saw an article that said that this one, instead of coming from the civet like SARS or from camels like MERS, that this virus, they think, came most recently uh, jumped from snakes to yeah, humans. Yeah, the snake got a lot of attention early on. I think what we have to be a little careful of right now is that people are publishing, it's in the age of open publishing, so people can rapidly publish and disseminate information, and that may not be completely accurate or fact-checked. So that, I think the the common feeling in the area right now is the snake story is not really going to prove to be the real story. Um, it, it, oh, well, thank goodness. Thank goodness, because so, so I thought it's, to myself... It's, it's very, it's, and for a lot of things, it's still, we're still in it's very early days. There's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts to try and figure out what, exactly what's going on. I think this, the snake theory has dropped down you know, yes. a lot from when it first appeared. So, but the question is, where's the source of this virus? The, the closest yes. known virus is in bats, but mm-hmm. like, as with SARS and MERS, it's presumably an intermediate host. And the question is, what is that intermediate host? Was it, was it actually in that live animal market in Wuhan, which is clearly an epidemiological link to that. But you know, is, that, is that really the source? We don't know, it's, yes. there's a link there, but is that the source? Well, that's the other thing that I read because, you know, we can do, we can do all kinds of things these days, like you said, but God bless the internet. We can find that information, whether it's accurate or not. And there was something that I read that indicated that perhaps that actually the, the wet market, they call it that live, live market that had seafood and live animals and dead animals and live people and everything mixed together in a tight space, I think that potentially the first cases actually came to the market with the disease, like that the humans brought the disease yeah, they were already I've infected. heard some, something recent that it's maybe a human, actually it was a reverse zoonosis in a, in a sense that maybe that was the mixing vessel, but then something came into the market from a human mm-hmm. 
mixed up in within the animals and then came back out again. That's one one theory right now, but that's yeah. Whether that proves to be true, I think we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it was like incredible to me because the hardest job that the epidemiologists have is to hunt down that source, right, mm-hmm. for the original patient zero. Yeah. Um, because finding that, I think they're they're hoping, I guess, that they can determine what that reservoir is. And will that be helpful in looking for a vaccination? Yeah, I don't think it's helpful for, I mean, the, the virus is what it is. I think we just, don't, we have the virus that's the problem. We can, you know, look at that virus and try and figure out a vaccine or a therapeutic okay. or, or something. The source is more of an epi- epidemiological, it's a, it's a management thing to okay. hopefully like prevent this from happening in the future. You know, maybe there's some intervention if that source is identified then we can go and intervene and you know, mm-hmm. stop this kind of thing happening again, or at least try and try to do that. So it's useful from a management point of view. It's, I don't think it's necessarily useful from a therapeutic or vaccine point of view, because it, it, right now we have, it, you know, the virus is what it is, and we just have to, to manage it and hopefully keep a track of whether it's changing or not, because you know, this is always this potential for the virus to change yeah. uh, over time, in the short term or the long term. And there could be waves. So there's a lot of unknowns. It could be, it could, you know, there's a lot of very high end, quarantine going on right now it's completely unprecedented is I, I don't know the exact numbers but you know 60 million people are under quarantine yes. like yes. out of this world and all flights are being shut down so there's a lot of like very high-end quarantine going on and that may hopefully it'll make a difference because those people in china are probably you know, under a lot of stress right now uh, because yeah i would so. think so and that and that actually goes to my next question because um how I can do simple math, no matter what Jason um, says, news hounds out in the candy verse, I can do simple math. And so if I take the number of cases that they, they're saying are confirmed right now, although everyone's saying that that is likely a low estimation, that there's probably more, and I uh, figure out with the number of deaths that there have been reported, that the mortality rate or the number of people who die is only like around two or three yeah, percent right quite, now. Relatively, it's quite low, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and so, so what? It seems like the world is is though in a bit of a panic. And mm-hmm. is that because there are like? Could you speculate? Or are they afraid that it is going to mutate in well, in the during this outbreak? Or that's a fear, I and mean, that's a, you know, a reasonable fear that it could mutate. But right now, it seems stable. Whatever that means, there's, there's no obvious genetic changes that would predict it becoming more dangerous. But it so the message is right now it's stable. Um, okay. I'm not sure what that really exactly means, but it's it, you know there's no indication it's getting worse. And and you know the mortality rate is you know three percent still a lot of people, but it's still relatively low. It's not it's not like SARS or MERS, but and it's also as I understand it, it's not widespread across the population. So that it's mm. very much like MERS. So MERS is a, a classic example of the mortality rate is very high, but it's mm. only very high in certain subset of the population, people who already have predisposing factors. There already is, is, there's some right. people, with, people with diabetes or... or, or underlying comorbidity. Underlying comorbidity, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so if they have some sort of immune stress that is existing, mm-hmm. right, or they're really elderly or little bitty babies, but the, the meat of the population there with that robust immune system don't seem right. to be so with MERS, coming right lots, lots of people walk around get infected, shed virus, and don't even know that they're, they're infected. And, but and anyway. so is that, is that happening, do you think, with this, with this current 2019? It does seem to be that that's happening. Yeah, this is not what people expected. Yeah, this, the, the latest yeah. situation I've heard of in Germany where the, there was a business partner went from China to Germany to do some training. 
Yes. And then, then left and actually felt ill on the plane home and alerted, oh. alerted the people in when she when she landed. And then the person in co-worker in Germany got sick and didn't even really know what it was until the connection was made that this the co-worker had gone back to China and was mm -hmm. tested for novel coronavirus. Then they subsequently tested the person in Germany and mm -hmm. he had novel coronavirus too and he spread it to other people. So it's it's kind of what it's like a lot of epidemiology and the data is only as good as the testing that's done and our ability to kind of really understand what's going on. Well, that was my next question. So here it looks like they're they're using PCR mm -hmm. to uh, confirm cases, right, um, at the CDC, and they're using nasopharyngeal um, swabs and um, I guess to some degree some bronchoalveolar lavage, and but they're saying that's not great because it dilutes it. So, but if they're doing PCR, if they get a negative. Doesn't that mean they just, they have, all they know is they have a negative or yeah, how, how sensitive? Right. Test, tests have to be interpreted in the context of the disease. So it could be negative. It could, I mean, sometimes there's false negatives on tests. And I don't know actually yeah. the numbers for sensitivity and specificity on this test, yeah. but presumably that's good. But sampling can make a difference if, you know, especially in, you know, a nasopharyngeal swab can be pretty variable to take. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Well, we know that, right? Because we deal with canine influenza. Right. And you know, we know if, if you don't get your swab, your sample, if you're doing a nasopharyngeal swab, if you don't get your sample within like the first three days of them being mm -hmm. infected, three to right. five, I guess, then you get a negative. All you know is you have a negative. Right. You, just, so you don't know if it's you, truly you negative. Have treat, you have to treat this. This is a fair amount of interpretation in, in all of this. Yes. Yes, not, not interpretive dance, which is what Jason likes to use for diagnostics, but no, <laughs> it's not that. And news hounds, Jason is uncharacteristically quiet right now because in the basement they're having technological issues, but we will press on because this is incredible. So my next thing that I'm wondering about, because you know us veterinarians, Dr. Whitaker, we go into these very small rooms mm -hmm. with pets and people Mm -hmm. who might all have symptoms of any kind of infectious disease. So what are the kind of the top three things that you think maybe veterinarians should know about this novel, this 2019 novel coronavirus? So for a veterinarian's point of view, I suppose the top three things are where, whether it's infecting the animal in, the, in that room right now. Is there any kind of evidence for transmission to okay. you know, pets or anything else that may be in the room? I think that's not known, um, but I'm assuming it's... It's human specific. We don't know that. I've not heard anything one way or, or, or the other. Okay. So that's one important thing to know. I mean, it, it, it's important to know if the owner is <laughs> shedding. They've got to think about, I mean, veterinarians are treating animals, but they're also in contact with owners. So that's... You know, Unfortunately, you know. we haven't figured that out yet. Like <laughs> how to talk only to dogs. <laughs> right. We have to talk to vets too, or the owners too. So yeah. I, yeah, so that's... And I, and I suppose that knowing the source of, you know, from a bigger picture point of view, knowing the source of the animal, you know, the intermediate host, which is presumed to be there. And it's not so much of a immediate problem in, in that office, yes. but just in, as a general, as a veterinarian, I think it's just from a wildlife management perspective, it's, there's a lot of bad things happen with wild, you know, in these, to get these animals into the live animal market in the first place. So from a bigger picture, it's, it's how to handle that from, um, from a, from a wildlife health point of view as much as anything else. So if I'm a companion animal practitioner right now, or even a large animal practitioner, if I'm practicing in the United States or in a country outside of China, I would say, yeah. <laughs> right now, then I don't necessarily need to be worried about every dog that comes in with respiratory. No, no. Because we don't have say, any evidence no. of that. 
No. If the owner is coughing and sneezing up a storm and appears to be ill, I might inquire about recent travel and step out of the room. <laughs> I can't travel to China or contact with people who've traveled to China is, is a, whether that's a, not it's a, part of the case definition right now, right? right is right. that history of travel. So you have exposure. And then number three, it seems like what you would want uh, us as veterinarians to do is to keep up with credible news sources mm-hmm. as epidemiologists attempt to kind of qualify what's going on. Right. Uh, where, yeah. What's the original source? What was the intermediate host, I suppose, where it went from the likely the bat to something else to the person? If it's reptiles, man, all bets are off. I can't imagine a virus that infects both of us. That would just be crazy. Right. Crazy town, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. I'm, I've seen a lot, so I, it wouldn't be quite so crazy to me. <laughs> These viruses. I mean, so one one thing that always to keep in mind with the coronavirus is this: they can recombine very readily. So it wouldn't necessarily be a, that exact virus transferred across, but part of the viral genome could recombine, and bits and pieces of the virus could transfer across. So that's happened before. Is they can do fairly amazing things in terms of recombining, and you know, with with pigs and cats and dogs, there's a lot of recombination actually goes on between those species. So. When you talk about recombinants and potentially reassort, I'm going to throw throw out a word. Everyone get ready. Reassortments. I love influenza. um, And influenza is going to take over the world. So when you're talking about that with Corona, can you compare that for me to influenza? There's a difference in terms of, to backtrack to some basic molecular biology, the influenza genome is what's known as the segmented genome. So it's it's RNA, like a coronavirus is RNA, but it's it's chopped into eight pieces. Okay. So those eight pieces can recombine and shuffle up into into a new virus, which is what you're referring to. Okay. Coronaviruses are a single piece of RNA, so they can't do that. But what they can do is to recombine. So, but all those little units sort of interchange. So the outcome is is very similar, but the mechanism is different. But the so this is why the two viruses we I think we need to be most concerned about is our influenza viruses and coronaviruses because. And I, yeah, I'm maybe I'm biased because I, I study both, but there's a reason why I study both. No. <laughs> <laughs> because Just I think they're the most concerned They can both do these big leaps. What would be called an influenza is the antigenic shift. Yeah. Yes. From, from like eight, yeah. So that something very equivalent happens in, it happens a lot in, it's most common in birds actually. And um, another coronavirus is infectious bronchitis in poultry. Yeah. So that if, you, if those of you know about infectious bronchitis, there's lots of different serotypes, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Arkansas. They're all essentially like these recombinant genomes, which have done these antigenic shifts, just like influenza did antigenic shifts by re- recombining versus reassorting. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, I have even more questions about the comparison to the super flu. Okay. All right, we'll be right back, Newshound. Stay tuned. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. When we put him on the Dynavite, he took right to it. All of these symptoms disappeared. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. Something that he actually likes to eat. You need to put him on Dynavite. Dynavite for life. If you love your dog, you don't just want him healthy, you want him to be happy. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Say goodbye to boring continuing education and hello to vet candy retreats and make learning fun with adventure, fitness, and world-class education from the most engaging speakers in our industry. 
Reserve your spot today. Visit myvetcandy.com slash retreat and get ready to have some fun. Oh, sure. It's all fun and games until someone ends up in a cone. That's right. We're animals. Deal with it. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Okay, welcome back, where we are talking with Dr. Gary Whitaker all about coronaviruses, and our old friend Influenza has now jumped into the conversation. Yeah, let, let's be honest, just you were talking for a while, so oh. now, now I, might, I might be able to join a conversation, but I'm going to go, you guys are going great, I'm, I'm, as always, you're way above my pay grade, I'm learning a ton here, I'm going to try to interject in a minute, but go ahead, carry on, but I want the world to know I'm back and better than ever, here, let's go. All right, okay, so I did have one more question as it relates to Influenza, Dr. Whitaker, mm-hmm. which is, um, when we talk about Influenza, we talk about that antigenic shift or reassortment actually happening occasionally inside of a host animal, like a pig, where they're co-infected with two different types of flu. Right. Is that necessary for coronavirus to have such a, a shift? And how quickly does coronavirus undergo antigenic shift? So whether I don't think it's strictly necessary for the virus to do that. It, I think it helps at a population level to generate diversity as, as within the population. So, okay. so part of the big picture strategy, if, if viruses have strategies, is to kind of do this in order to get into new territory. And the, you know, the, So viruses are also looking to leverage diversity? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. But it doesn't have to have a, be co-infecting... No, it's, it's more, that's more of an, I guess, an accident and they, you know, the virus will take advantage of this sort of situation and come out of something new. But I don't think it's you know, something they're really necessarily designed to do, but it will help them evolve and, and go, you know, become successful as viruses, certainly. Okay. Um, yeah, and influenza, you know, influenza is you know, another you know, favorite of mine. So it's, there's a lot of, I think it's worth thinking about comparisons and, and how influenza virus can change. It can change in a restricted way. Um, mm-hmm. For sure, but I think coronaviruses have the same ability, but in a, they have a much broader profile and ability to, to, okay. to make these changes. So they're a more more flexible and more di- there's more diversity in coronavirus. They're they're the most they're very diverse as viruses go. Sounds like coronavirus is a bigger bad mamma jamma than influenza. Whoever likes influenza, but oh. I'm, I'm voting here. I'm vote I'm voting that coronavirus is winning here. So Dr. <laughs> Jen, you had, you had one more question. That's all you get. You one, you one more question. Okay. I'm gonna, competition. Okay. I know. So, okay. So here's, so here's my thing. So I want to, I do have a little game, Dr. Whitaker. If your game, I have a little game. So I'm going to say to you and to Dr. Jason, now that he's back with us and not hibernating in the basement anymore, I'm going to say two diseases. One of them will be novel coronavirus. And I'll say another one. And you say, which one you think is least like if you were going to pick one to be infected with, which one is are you least afraid of? Okay. Would, would I, if I had to choose to be infected with one or the other, which one would it be? Thank you so much. Folks, this is why we have him on with us today. Did you guys hear that? Perfect. Yes, that. Okay, are you ready, Jason? You ready I mean, too? this sounds like a really fun game. I'm ready. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's get to it. Which one would I rather be infected with? Great. Right. Okay, Dr. ready? Whitaker, I'm going to let you answer first. I'm probably just going to choose the same thing you do. Okay, here we go. 2019 novel coronavirus mm-hmm. or... Ebola. Hmm. 
I think that's novel coronavirus 2019 by far. Oh, me too. Novel coronavirus. <laughs> Shocker. All right, great. Okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Another one. 2019 novel coronavirus or the Nipah virus. I'd go with novel coronavirus again. Again. That's the best one to get. Okay, okay. I have two more. So the third one is 2019 novel corona or the Hendra virus. Uh, I think that's the same answer. So I, um, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, buddy. Novel coronavirus for me because I got no idea what the other one is. <laughs> okay. Better Good. the devil you know. Right. Better the devil you know. That's a, that is a fact. Okay. Last one. The last one. 2019 novel coronavirus or disease X. Which oh, is. that's my that's my kind of question. <laughs> what is disease X? You know, disease X, like um, just like the next one it's coming. Right, just, if I was to take just lucky dip. Yeah. Yeah, just a lucky dip. There's, there's a lot of disease X's out there, and most of them are way, way less than novel coronavirus, so I'll go with disease X. If it was oh, he would pick Oh, he's taking a risk. That's a bit of a gamble. Take my chance and go with disease X. Okay, okay. But, Jason, which one did you pick? The novel coronavirus. I don't like unknowns. I told he you, better like devil you know. All right? I, I got a lot of unknowns in my life. I don't need any more. All right? He doesn't like that. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, what I'm hearing from you, though, Doc, is that what we need to do, if we are outside the central region of China, where this is really a massive issue, mm-hmm. if we're outside of there, for instance, the United States, Australia, Europe, Antarctica, the North Pole, um, any of those places, we don't need to be panicking right now. Right. Yeah, I need to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, we need to be aware and be careful, but not to panic. So I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question, right? Because you guys were diving deep, diving deep, and you were getting me a little worried. I'm glad you asked about the pal. I was gonna go buy a mask. I was gonna walk around <laughs> with these things in my nose. I was very worried, but I'm very happy. No need to panic. I was gonna stay in the basement, which is not much of a change. But uh, I'm very glad well, we don't. Have to panic, so. It's interesting though, Dr. Whitaker, that you say that because. Typically, the fact that because isn't this an uh, airborne the coronavirus? This is an airborne one. Yeah, but it's airborne. Um, it's, as I understand it, airborne from a point of view of a, a droplet airborne versus an aerosol airborne. Okay, a, there is a difference. There so it's is. Not a, it's not a, yeah, it's it's relatively close contact um, okay. droplet transmission. It's still respiratory, but not so. It's different. It's less something like influenza or measles will be airborne and really go a relatively long distance. The coronaviruses tend to be more droplet and go shorter distance. Excellent. So I was correct the other night when I told someone, yes, you can contract novel coronavirus, this 2019 one from other people, but you kind of have to work at it. Mm -hmm. Like just sitting in the room with them doesn't mean you're necessarily going to contract it. You could. Could, right. But you got to. So once again, Jason, I must remind you that I am correct. One of Dr. Jen's rules for a long and healthy life is if it's wet and made by a stranger, don't touch it. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a great rule. I'm, I'm, that's one of your best, right? Wet and don't lick things. Great. Oh, yeah. Don't, if, no, don't lick it. So wonderful. So again, for the veterinarian standing in the exam room or the news hound who is not a veterinarian who is serving the public, you know, just don't get any of it on you and you'll be okay. Yeah. Love it. Love diseases like that because I can I can take great steps to prevent myself from contracting it because if it's truly aerosol, I have to breathe. Right. I can't not breathe. 
which is why I think still influenza is going to take over the world. Um, so, all right, Dr. Jason, do you have anything, anything other burning questions for Dr. Whitaker? I mean, how could I? You guys covered everything from very generic, not to panic, to, to all kinds of words that I can't even pronounce. So, no, I have no more questions. I learned a lot as, as per the norm. So, this is fantastic. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Dr. Whitaker, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad that you made time to talk with us because this is a huge hot topic. Is. Um, is there anything else that you think people should appreciate about the coronavirus since you appreciate it so significantly? Is there anything else we should know? Um, I don't think anything else. Just to re reinforce this idea that it's it's very it's a very flexible virus. It's a lot of uncertainty here and you know things can change, but we just need to be careful. It can change. It can change. You know, hopefully it'll it'll go away, but it may come back, or something different may come back. It's it's unpredictable. We just have to be, be ready for that unpredictability and try and try and manage it. Excellent, perfect. So our usual recommendations to you about public health people in the Candyverse. So uh, I do I do have I know you're about to, end, but I do have one question. I'm so sorry, oh, okay. uh, Doctor Whitaker, because there is a lot of information out there. I mean, a tremendous amount of of necessary fun. You guys may have gone over it during my technical difficulties, but it doesn't hurt to re. Uh, Reiterate, is there a source or a place that we can go as veterinarians, as, as the general public, as Joe Q out there doing, doing having pets to kind of learn the actual truth about what's going on? Or do we just have to just rely on, I don't know, I, that sounds terrible. I don't want to go outside anymore. I mean, so is there, yeah, is there some I mean, place we can go? My advice is just to try and screen for the journals, the publications from a professional society or a reputable source. And um, it's hard from the outside to really know how to do that but look for certain things new england journal of medicine american mm -hmm. society of microbiology thing, things that look like they've got a you know, professional organization behind them and, and the credentials of the people writing are, are good and, and that's just really interesting thing. and what about the um the who the world health organization because mm -hmm. um, they're putting up a lot of information as well and i yeah. usually find them to be reliable yeah yeah they're always good cdc is good who is good um good. they're always good okay. sources to go to okay excellent well uh is it jason is that all and uh, and vet candy always check on vet candy. Oh, candy. you can always check vet candy. I was, I was lobbing that up there for you guys. You guys did. I know we both we both dropped it. Me and Dr. <laughs> Whitaker. <laughs> We're too focused. Vet candy, baby, rule the world. <laughs> That's right. So um, really, this has been fantastic, and I hope that people will listen. That Dr. Whitaker does know what he's talking about, and uh, reinforcing the fact that most of us globally don't need to worry. We don't need to panic. We need to remember what keeps us safe and healthy every day as we interact with other people and keep up with the news so that we know what's going on. But no need to panic. No need to panic here. And as always, here at uh, Vet Candy in other news, if something else pops, we're going to bring it to you. Oh, by the way, I said pop, didn't I? You did. So, Jason, should we tell everybody? If you want to, I'm all for it. Okay, Dr. Whitaker, you're going to get to be here when we tell everyone... Breaking news. Breaking news. We're launching a new show called Vet Candy Pop. And we're going to launch that mid-February, and it will be video. And we're going to have to let um, Dr. Courtney Campbell join us on that show, because we have three hosts. It was really uh, big. Yeah, I mean, he tries to take over. No, I'm just kidding. We love Dr. Courtney Campbell. So, folks, be looking for Vet Candy Pop to hit your internet very soon um, coming in February and we will see you again let's tune in for vet candies and other news let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com <laughs>